Welcome to The Adapter's Advantage, the podcast that shares insider stories about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Get ready for an inspiring conversation about adapting to change from Alego, the all-in-one sales enablement platform built for success in a hybrid world. Let's dive right in. Hi, I'm Mark Magnaca, and I want to welcome you to the next episode of the Adapter's Advantage podcast. Today, my guest is Dan Smeda. Dan has spent the last 25 years traveling around the world as a consultant, training, and coaching on sales execution. Today, his practice is dual in nature. Part of his time is spent working with learning and development to develop and implement programs. The other part is spent advising high-level advisors, both financial and otherwise. Dan's also written a book called Love and Selling. And yes, I've got this book about how to avoid things that make you seem salesy and replace them with things you would do in a real relationship. Most importantly for our discussion today, Dan has used technology early and often to make more of an impact faster. And with that, welcome to the podcast, Dan. Oh, thanks, Mark, for having me. Looking forward to talking about everything uh, you said, except I got to correct the inaccuracy right out of the gate. I've spent 23 of the last 25 years traveling around. Last couple of years, I've been right where we are. Oh, that's a, that's a good point. Thank you. Yeah, I think we all probably have to do that. Well, you've been traveling. It's just been virtual traveling, not actually on an airplane, right? Yeah, I've, it's, it's allowed me to keep going around the world. It certainly is. Well, let's jump right in, Dan. Um, there's so much I want to cover, but when people meet you and they ask you that famous question of, so Dan, what do you do? What do you say? I say I am a catalyst for change in how sellers prepare for and execute the sales process. I like that. I like that. Now, uh, follow-up question, Dan, why do sellers need a catalyst right now? Well, we all do. It's why professionals at all different levels in all different disciplines employ coaches and have managers. It's to help them use the, the mirror, if you will, to continue to get better. It's the rare individual that doesn't get better from that or can truly optimize their talent. It's a great point. I, I'll tell you that um, when, when you really think about it, in my experience of the top salespeople I've met over almost 30 years, almost without exception, those are the ones who are most interested in getting great coaching uh, from outside people, in some cases from their managers, in some cases from a trusted colleague, and in some cases from an outside expert. But those tend to be the people who are most interested in hearing ideas about how they can get better versus being satisfied with where they are. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a really good point. Clarification on the answer I just gave you too. If I was, I'm talking to you as a business to business sales leader, which you are. And so I answered it on those terms. When some people ask me that question, I say I help advisors hone the art of advising and apply behavioral science to the art of advising. Because that at its core is what I believe sellers are paid to do when the sale becomes complex and consultations required. That's, that's an excellent point. And, and what's the mix for you between advisors, if it's specifically financial advisors versus other types of advisors? 
I think it's a, it, it leans a little bit toward financial advisors. Uh, I work, I work with a lot of folks, both at, you know, f- founders that are seeking to grow practices and, uh, producers that are trying to build books and build relationships with clients. That said, though, outside of financial services, I continue to work in medical devices, med tech, health tech, 3D printing, uh, all because the change uh, and the pace of change is so great. And the level of competence in both technical and consulting areas is you know, the, the requirements are so high. That's people continue to call me for that. Let's talk about where did you start your career? Can you tell us a little bit about the, the journey and, and what influenced you? Oh, okay, so everyone has that moment where they figure out, here's what I'm going to sort of do. And for me, it actually came in college. I was, I fell into a sales career at the Minnesota Daily, the paper, newspaper at the University <laughs> of Minnesota, analog, right? Ink. Yeah. Right? slicing and cutting and pasting ads on things. And yeah, so sales manager, part-time, part-time sales employees, we're all college kids. We didn't really have a process, but one of us had an uncle who did some sales training. His name was Warren Wexler. He's gone now, but he had a book, he had a process and he came in and he gave us a day of his time. And it was in that post-lunch kind of haze where I looked around at what was going on. I looked at what he was doing. I'm like, that could be me. I could be him. Yeah. I just thought I could. And so literally the next week I went on and changed my major because it would be quicker to be a history major and get out versus the journalism advertising path I was on. Got it. And and the first job I got was at a company uh, called Creative Training Techniques, now called the Bob Pike Group still doing excellent train the trainer workshops, right? I learned the business as a seller, learned how the consultants did their thing. And a few years later, I'm all like, I'm a consultant now. Quit my job, hung out the shingle, got a paper out on the weekends. (laughs) And you were (laughs) off to the races. I was because I found I was fortunate enough to figure out that I had to find clients with clients. I started as a as a, as a purveyor, a, a cover singer, if you will, of other yeah. people's songs. Sure. Right. So spin selling, career track, traveled the world. It was my period of acquiring the 10,000 hours I needed as a, an executor of professional development uh, to get where I am now, where I can help people write their own songs. You know, Dan, I love that metaphor. And coincidentally, I was at a live program last night in Florida it was a cover band uh, for the band Chicago. And oh. they, didn't, they didn't just do Chicago, but they did so many different songs of the 70s oh. and 80s. And, and I'll tell you exactly, they, it's called the, uh, Solid Brass was the name of it. And the reason right. I, I mentioned this is what you just said triggered a thought. I said to my wife that, you know, one of the interesting things when you're not busy writing songs, which absorbs a huge amount of creative energy from artists, when your job is to simply master something that's already been produced. I'll tell you, there's a lot of people in the audience, you couldn't tell the difference between Peter Cetera singing from Chicago and this guy last night. It was, it was that good. Yeah. And yet uh, what you just described, I hadn't really thought of it in that context, that in some cases, the person who has become the cover singer can deliver the content as well or better than the actual author who created it. Well, yeah, absolutely. And even the most well-developed programs out there, 
and they give you the 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 fake book so to speak and they'll <laughs> give you like recordings of people doing it but it's still like working with people is like jazz yeah you've got you've got to understand the structure but to be able to move within that structure and leverage the structure in an improvisational way so uh you know in outliers gladwell talks about the ten thousand hours to expertise and my my equivalent of the beatles in hamburg yep. figuring out how to apply their music to the tourists coming through is being out on the road every week for a period of several years delivering workshops to incredibly diverse groups all over the place and that was before i started working with clients just on my own what what was the most valuable part for you in terms of learning how to do that facilitation which is like the jazz of of training that that was again a, a thing a, a matter of structure right the the creative training technique stuff is great because you learn like the mechanics of uh, but the the process of being able to go get off the script and put the music away and adapt to what you're seeing uh is I mean something you just got to do over and over and suffer from a little bit along the way. Yeah. Right. The, the guy out there with the machete breaking the trail is also getting scratched up. Absolutely. That yeah. job is hard. So yeah. But a see, lot, I a lot of that. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Also, I mean, the what when you get into situations that are like memorable. Those yes. are catalysts. And I've been in situations, I mean, when you're 20, 30 years old and you're in a room full of guys that are managers at two railroads where one railroad just bought the other railroad and it's a session on like conflict management. <laughs> and they're all like, all right, kid. Yeah. Let's see, <laughs> see what you got. See your fingernails. As I thought, <laughs> as I thought, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's so interesting listening to you say that because I watched an episode, uh, it was like a behind the scenes on the Larry David program, Curb Your Enthusiasm. And they talked about how for so many actors, they literally don't want to be on the show because they are not comfortable working without a net. And then there's other actors who the thought, you know, because they have that improv skill, the thought of coming into the show and literally not knowing what the script is going to be until the day of as it just unfolds. That's super frightening for many actors who are just used to memorizing the script and trying to embody it. So there's, a, there's an interesting lesson here, and we're going to get to the implication of this in the virtual world. But um, one of the things that I'm curious to, to ask you about, because I know when I first met you, uh, one of the people referred to you as, he said, Mark, he's like a poster boy as it relates to scaling technology for financial services. And it was a shared client that we both had. So I'm, I'm curious as someone who came from that live training instructor-led world, what got you interested in technology and, and what caused you to start using it? Necessity, right? I, I started using technology, uh, one, because uh, a client asked me to in one case. And then secondly, because uh, in order to, to scale and be in two places at once in the same day, I didn't have a choice. And so we started to incorporate uh, some of it, right? I couldn't be evaluating uh, sales calls when I wasn't there. So people started sending me tapes. Got it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, if I couldn't be there, I could send a proxy or take advantage of a meeting recording 
right, to do my job. It was cumbersome, right, in days before Lego. Right. Pre-Lego was just like the time lapse is incredible. So I don't, you know, a lot of problems with it. But that was why there's no, I had no other choice. I was, I mean, one of the first guys to use WebEx and Adobe Connect to deliver training and, you know, hopefully one of the first guys running around the world with videotapes. But I know I was probably tied with you there. Well, we were definitely tied. We were in a we were in a parallel universe, but it was it was literally the two of us. I remember I, I was using the Sony, you know, mini cam and it had this little digital eight tape, right? Remember that? Yeah. And I remember we would drop them into FedEx and I would ship them to a transcription place so that we could get the transcript back. I mean, and that's not that long ago, but but that's how much the world has changed. I remember right the envelope to Cheryl with all the little tapes in it, right? Padded envelope. Yeah. But that's even back then though, uh, that was uh, a, an amazing tool because it does allow you to scale. Yeah, it really did. And in, in fact, you know, when you think about it, um, it was a great example of we adapted with what we had at that time. You know, now we have the a new technology to be able to do it more efficiently. Um, but underlying that, there's there's a, a piece that I want to reference from a, a conversation from one of our mutual clients. And I know this client said to both of us, my goal is to have the best trained and most productive sales team in the business. So when you're given that kind of mission by one of your clients, how do you think about orchestrating success to help them make that vision a reality? Yeah, it's a really good question. You almost have to work backwards, in my opinion, from most productive to best trained. Mm. So clearly defining what causes productivity versus what correlates with productivity is job one. Yep. And where management doesn't have the clearest handle on that, you either help folks get there or you work with your strongest correlations and you know hope you're right to a certain extent. Sure. Uh, and frankly, I mean, you look at any sales training on the planet that's been uh, marketed from spin to challenger, it's based on correlations, not yes. causality, right? Anybody who presumes otherwise is sort of mistaking the two. Yes, Sorry, that's a great point. That's a great, great point um, that I don't know that anyone has specifically called out, but, um, and, and, and ultimately when you think about it, even when you try to do some kind of empirical research um, to validate efficacy of one program versus the other, there's so many variables that come in at any given time. It's very hard to have a, you know, an isolated double-blind gold standard type test to say they took this training and because of that thing and that thing alone, no other forces with product pricing, market, et cetera, um, that it caused this change in performance. Right. Right. And what as a thought, I forget what effect it is, but even the active observation changes things. So, yes, it does. That's a great point. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So uh, the starting with what makes productivity is the is the first thing there as closely as you can. And then, uh, you know, the best train doesn't just in more than ever, it doesn't mean what you're training them on. Although there's a key distinction between right, things that you're really doing that correlate and things that external experts think. Correct. Right? My job isn't supplying the answers. It's helping them figure out their own chili. Yes. Uh, and then, but best trained means how you train it. How do you make training fit in? 
how do you you know tune the car while you're driving it yep right how do you continue to drill in the field during a campaign right are cr critical questions that you know have to be answered at both the sales man primarily the sa at the sales management level so just for a little additional context because we call this podcast the adapters advantage I i'm curious uh if there's a particular pivot point or a, a moment of learning that changed the trajectory of your life, similar to that moment when when that uh, trainer was it Warren came into that that uh, meeting at the newspaper. Well, I think you know I've I've talked about the catalyst for me going in this direction. Uh, one of the biggest catalysts for opening my mind to the possibilities of what sales developing salespeople could really be about was when I took the disc profile for the first time. Okay. I've taken disc Myers-Briggs, the insights, all uh, that to me, learning about those dimensions of behavior and like the Jungian psychology it was based on. Yes. It was like, boom, right? What, what, yes. why, why did I have to wait so long? To get yeah. that, but kudos to Bob Pike for they they carried that stuff. They introduced me to it, changed my world. Wow, that's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. And then to this day, I mean, with all of the innovation, Dan, that's happened with what we know now about neuroscience to say we didn't know even 40 years ago. From from my perspective, it doesn't appear that on the personality profile there's been that much advancement. Uh, over the, the the basic quadrants of disc that really go back to Hippocrates, um, because it seems like it works. Like what they're talking about generally works. Is that your experience as well? Oh, completely. Yeah, I think it's really well said. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, yeah. So that's a huge one. Uh, okay. So I'll tell you the other one. Uh, I was interviewing for a gig representing delivering sales training. You would know. Okay. And we went out to the headquarters and did a little song and dance, right? I was with a few fellow aspiring, right? And I wasn't that old. This was quite a while ago. And uh, I just, you know, I went in and I, I modeled the training they wanted to do through how I was doing the training, because that's just how I thought you would do it, right? If you were going to do blank selling, if you're going right. to deliver that, you should use that to deliver that. Yes. So yes. I asked questions in a pattern they recognized and right. The person who was evaluated, their eyes got bigger and bigger. And right. They took me in the back after that and offered me the gig on the spot. I'm like, you got to put me on retainer or nobody will use me. Like They're like, okay. Wow. And that plus seeing what I was up against in the room convinced me that I had a future in this business, but it was, wow. it wasn't rocket science, right? It was the simple act of modeling the behavior you're trying to teach that's really like in sales training, sort of the gold, right? Training salespeople using good consultative behaviors is like the mirror in the mirror. Yeah, it's deep. That's, that is such a great example, I think, for anybody listening, just the notion of um, having one of those moments where, I mean, for what it's worth, then that is an, a level of innovation because not everybody who who is going to, you know, uh, it, it's like wanting to be the ambassador to a country and in the and in the meeting with the president when you're talking about 
am I the right fit to be this person demonstrating that I can speak the language? I understand something Ooh. about it, right? Yep, yep, and and exactly. immediately it's like, obviously you care. That's, that's the subtext of it. That's, a, that's adaptation. I learned a new language to be able to succeed in that environment. I think that's for, for professional developers and managers of salespeople on the line. I think that over and over again, DISC is learning to speak somebody else's language and adapting to the needs of the relationship and the individual you're with. You're using, uh, using the method you're trying to promote as a way to communicate is another way of speaking the language, if you will. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> so let's pivot to the idea of product launches, Dan, because I know you've had a lot of experience, uh, again, across shared customers that we have in financial services and in med device. What's the most important thing you've learned helping your clients as they go through a product launch in either of those industries? Well, I think actually it totally relates to the subject of this podcast is that great, great product launches are adaptive. Mm. They're not static, they're dynamic. They're not, they're iterative and they rely on a couple things to be that. One is good market feedback. And so having a chassis in which you can communicate feedback from the market and share it around efficiently, critical to the adaptation. Right. The second then would be in you know, at adapting the approach based on what you find working and what is having success. Because any launch, no matter how well you design it, right, like they say, uh, no good plan survives first contact with the enemy was like a yeah, short that's great. Tyson had a quote on that, et cetera. But so being able to adapt, distribute and adapt behaviors that are working and help people become more effective in real time. Everything from the, the messaging that they're putting in the emails and the voicemails to how they're, how they're introducing it or positioning it in live and virtual conversations. Boy, if that looks the same on day 15 and day 30 as it did on day one of the launch, I, I wonder about that. I wonder what you're missing. What's been your experience and what's the significance of, of the Montessori method and peer learning based on uh, your personal yeah. experience. Put that on the list of catalytic moments that helped me adapt, right? <laughs> I, love, I love taking things from real life and saying, oh, you realizing how well they work in my world and peer-driven learning and the Montessori method is one of those things, right? For folks to learn by doing with each other. Yeah. With, again, facilitation, as you said, somebody making it easy, and removing roadblocks to it and creating a process and an environment for it. That's, that's what I do now. It's using the Montessori method helped me really unlock what I think most good, most sellers understand, which is, you know, quite being, being the asker and not the answerer is where the true influence lies. I love the way you said that. Um, I happen to be a, a Montessori graduate who, who continued this path uh, for my children as well. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a huge believer in, in the Maria Montessori philosophy. Shout yeah. out Little, Little Flowers Montessori, St. Louis Park, Minnesota, Young Me, Sam, if you're listening, thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, my, mine was um, Springfield, Massachusetts. And, uh, you know, that, that piece, not just about the, the influence that you later realize comes from being able to ask the question, but also the, the sense that it's okay to be curious. 
right? That it's a natural thing and that that we live in this world of wonder. Like, why would you not be curious? Why would you settle for just being as if you already know it? And, and in most cases, we now know we don't know anything about so many things. Yeah. I mean, the best part about Montessori method and something I try to carry over is that they don't put them in desks. They don't put them in rows. Yeah. Right? You don't you don't you don't try to structure creativity and thought and innovation and productivity too, too soon. So so let me just thread the needle back for a moment here. We just talked about Montessori. And if you go back to disc for a moment, um, do you find that there is a particular style that the disc is used to sort of help people determine, yes, you'd be a good fit for sales or no, you wouldn't? Or is it more about recognizing, okay, this is where you are and this is where the particular buyer that you're interacting with is and that you need to adapt accordingly? Hiring managers never ever use DISC, Myers-Briggs or anything like that to try to determine whether somebody's going to be a good salesperson. Just don't. It's not that simple. And uh, it takes all kinds. Not only can all styles be successful in sales, it's a matter of adaptivity and emotional intelligence not what style you are, but think of the best sales teams, the best teams of any sort, they're diverse. Right. It consists of different styles. The detail oriented C helps the, you know, woohoo, I like me, dot a couple <laughs> of eyes that need to be dotted and vice versa. Yes. So celebrate all the styles yep. uh, and find reasons to, to find other reasons to hire and fire. So Dan, as we get ready to wrap up here, let's just talk for a moment about what's the most important thing you've learned helping Alego customers uh, to leverage our technology to be successful in what they're trying to accomplish? Yeah, great question. And for context, uh, you know, I am biased. I have a few clients that where I have Alego accounts, right? I'm an Alego power user in their system. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I it's my favorite. So uh, I think the, 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 the biggest things I see that your clients can benefit from getting right yep. are number one is, you know, whether they're coming into a relationship with you or they're in the middle of one, it's taking a step back and being clear about, you know, what are the, what are the goals we're really shooting for? And what are the indicators that we're really going to focus on that we're meeting those goals when it comes to using a system like this, both leading and lagging. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and really considering those goals then using those as guideposts when you start using the system. Yep. Which leads to the second thing, which is a really, I think, a, a well thought out uh, process for distributing and having content live in the system mm -hmm. a good plan for what are we trying to do that creates a good architecture for the the learning that you want people to do and the practice that you want them to do you know keeps it it helps you focus then on the user experience yeah right? and that's, make that that's... user experience good for salespeople so that it's easy to get in easy to find stuff that they want to find and the stuff that they are finding is useful 
and you're thatching it so that the, the stuff that no longer is, is out of there. Yeah. Be thoughtful about how that's going to happen. And by all means, so I don't skimp on the resources devoted to that because that helps it all the whole system go. A little thatching helps the whole yard prosper. So Dan, last question. What do you think in, in all the work you've done, I'm going to limit this just during the pandemic. What do you hmm. think is the most important skill that salespeople need to learn or improve post-pandemic? Ooh, there's so many. I mean, the quality you need is adaptability, first of all. And I think this, this is an aptly named podcast. The competency right, is, I think, something you talked about in your book. It's the competency of virtual selling yep. as an orchestrator and as a, a master of the process of engaging and contact to contract when you're not there, especially with complexity. Mm -hmm. contact through contract in complexity you're, you're welcome for that Wait, yeah that's a good um, one I, I got i gotta jot that down hold on i'm getting my trademark lawyer um, <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, the skill though i think the underrated skill set is how you man is how you literally manage this physical what we're doing right now when you're a seller who, who has to pursue an agenda deliver a value proposition, right? Engage with questions and ultimately get more than a verbal commitment. Whether you're a financial advisor or a business to business seller, or even a sales leader, uh, just talking with each other on the screen like this right. is another example of buying a smartphone and using it to leave voicemails for people. It's yeah. not, it's you're underusing the technology. So, Get good at mastering selling on the small screen in the moment to moment is the skill set I think that's going to be super vital going forward. Well said, well said. Um, we we definitely um, share that philosophy, um, Dan. If people want to learn more about you in terms of visiting your website or or on LinkedIn, what's the best way to do that? LinkedIn with me for sure, right, Dan Smeda. You can see my name here on the screen. It's the number one way. You'll also, uh, you'll be able to go to the websites, Advisory Edge for financial advisors, specialized sales systems for B2B sales leaders who want to build their own, make their own chili. That's what I help with. But uh, I think those are the, the, the LinkedIn, I think is the biggest one because that's where I talk about everything from what we're talking about here to my fondness for bacon and stand-up desks. Well, I, I've been following you on LinkedIn and uh, love the creativity that you bring to uh, otherwise. Oh, uh, I'll hold on one, but yeah. and before we go, right? Love and Do selling, uh, trickling off the shelves at Amazon. It's Actually on sale at my distributor through the end of February, but probably it's a shameless book plug. So. And we're recording this one day after Valentine's Day for that uh, really spectacular Cupid right there. On right, the that's right. Feeling, feeling sad about not getting your sellers anything for Valentine's Day, <laughs> there's still time. Uh, awesome, Dan. Listen, a real pleasure. I uh, want you to know we appreciate uh, the collaboration with you here at, uh, at Alego and um, look forward to continuing to do great things together. Me too. You guys are a treat to work with. It's very fun. Thank you. You've been listening to The Adapter's Advantage, a podcast from Alego. Stay connected by subscribing to the show at alego.com forward slash podcast, leaving us a rating and comment and sharing episodes you love. 
That helps us bring you more conversations about breakthrough moments that lead to success. Thanks for listening. Until next time, remember that one new idea can change your life.